Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good. Uh, Dr. Rayan Eisler is a social scientist, attorney, and author whose work on cultural transformation has inspired both scholars and social activists. Her research has impacted many fields, including history, economics, psychology, sociology, and education. She has been a leader in the movement for peace, sustainability, and economic equity. And her pioneering work in human rights has expanded the focus of international organizations to include the rights of women and children. You are now listening to the international show, <clears throat> Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Taz. And I'm Paula. Um, Dr. Uh, Eisler is internationally known for her bestseller, The Chalice and the Blade, Our History, Our Future. And it's now in 23 foreign editions, including most European languages and Chinese, Russian, Korean, Hebrew, Japanese, and Arabic. And her newest book, The Real Wealth of Nations, Creating a Caring Economics, hailed by Archbishop Desmond Tutu as a template for the better world we have been so urgently seeking, proposing a new approach to economics that gives visibility and value to the most essential human work, the work of caring for people and our planet. Dr. Eisler's work is so prolific, um, as it is delivered with documentation and research that has been coupled with contemplative observance, allowing others as well to view where we as a culture worldwide have slipped into insanity unconsciously, repetitiously following in the footsteps of our culture's past, and now we are desperately seeking to become methodically conscious, bringing us back to a partnership where all can be nurtured. New possibilities are certainly on the horizon here with Dr. Eisler. Uh, Paula, please tell us more about her work. Well, um, (laughs) everything is completely gone on my computer. I'm sorry, Dr. Eisler. Um, My computer crashed right in the middle of all of this, and I had to set up a new computer, so that's what's creating all the problem. I'm so sorry to hear that. Don't worry about it. We'll just go ahead. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, it put me in a little bit of a uh, chisel here, but um, we're so glad to have you with us. And uh, we were... I was with a group of ladies this morning, and uh, we were talking about how women project upon themselves as what they're supposed to be in society. And I, I kind of chuckled to myself because I said that's what we'll probably be talking about in our interview today. It, it, we project on ourselves just as much as the whole society does of what's expected of us. Is that correct? Well, what we project on ourselves, of course, uh, doesn't happen in a vacuum. It depends on what society projects on us, doesn't it? Yeah. So I don't think we can separate the two. Uh, I mean, authentically speaking, uh, 
we are really are the product of the society uh, into mm-hmm. which we're born, um, and all of our experiences uh, then are influenced by that. And that's why I think that when we talk about um, taking responsibility, uh, we need to take educated responsibility. In other words, uh, it's very difficult for us to um, envision uh, the possibilities um, without having some sense of what they might be. And that's where uh, work such as my work comes in. Because mm-hmm. people always write me how empowering it is to them uh, to have that. It is. Now, you have a background. You were born in Vienna. And could you please give our listeners a little more personal background about your life and how your journey merged you to be where you are today? Uh, I I was um, born in Vienna, in Austria. And as you know, um, much of my research really, uh, and my passion for that research, uh, is uh, rooted in my early life experiences because uh, my parents and I had to flee for our lives from the Nazis. And I grew up in the industrial slums of Havana. And so very early I had to ask myself about does it have to be this way? Um, Most of my family, my extended family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, were killed in the Holocaust as would have happened to us had we not, by really a miracle, been able to escape. And uh, I think that many of us have asked that question of, does it have to be this way? Does there have to be so much cruelty and so much barbarity and so much injustice? Uh, And if so, uh, what can we do? Or are there alternatives? And unfortunately, you know, you were talking about what is projected onto us. Many of the stories that we are told really make it sound inevitable, you know, whether it's stories about original sin, uh, you know, religious stories, or stories about selfish genes. Uh, In reality, what we are today learning from both uh, biological science, such as neuroscience, and social science, of course, and this is what my research has been, is that uh, how our brains develop our brains, that's right, is really a function of the interaction of genes with our experiences. And as I said earlier, our experiences are very much shaped by the culture, the society into which we're born. And in my research, I basically found that to answer these questions of my childhood, of really, is there a better alternative, uh, the old categories you know, that we're so used to of religious or secular or Eastern or Western, or capitalist or socialist, or right or left, that they weren't useful. And so I ended up by, uh, in my multidisciplinary cross-cultural research, identifying two underlying possibilities for structuring beliefs as well as social institutions, all the way from the family, education, religion, to politics and economics, what I've called the domination system and the partnership system, and much of the programming that we carry in our heads is our heritage from earlier times that oriented more to the domination side. Yes, times 
in which uh, women uh, were basically uh, defined only in terms of their relationship to a man, uh, to father, uh, you know, as daughter, to a man, to husband, as wife, uh, to a, a child, as mother, uh, and there was no room really for any identity for us as human beings. And so today, we're beginning to re-examine that, and my work has done a great deal of that. Thank you. So, I mean, it's not only women, it's also, as you say, human rights. It's what you went, your family went through escaping. And you see that all over the world, the different groups and different human, I mean, different groups of society are going through this. Well, my work shows that there is a correlation, a connection, because my work is about connecting the dots between the status of women, between how a society really structures the most fundamental human relations between the female and male half of humanity and between them and their daughters and sons, and whether a society is uh, more violent, whether it's more authoritarian, more repressive, or going to the other side of the spectrum, whether it is more democratic, uh, less violent, uh, more supportive, as you say, of the human rights of women, men, and children. So my work is very different, really. My research from most studies where uh, these relationships, you know, the, the primary human relations uh, between parents and children and between women and men are hardly ever figure. My work shows that, on the contrary, it is precisely uh, these relations, how they are socially constructed, that most profoundly affect everything about a society. And so that's why my work has attracted so much attention nationally and internationally. My books are now in uh, 25 languages. And uh, basically, it's a whole new way of looking at our past, our present, and the possibilities for our future. Well, I can see what exactly what you're saying because when a child is born into a family, they uh, relate to how their mother and father relate to each other. So that creates how they pr project things as they get older. And so it starts at the level of when the child's being born in the family and how the all the relationships develop. Absolutely, and it isn't only how their mother and father uh, relate, although that certainly is a very important part, but what's considered normal in that culture or subculture. Uh, so uh, if in a culture or subculture... Uh, I mean, let's take so-called religious fundamentalism, whether it's Eastern or Western, uh, Northern or Southern. Uh, children are born not only into families uh, that are, you know, that, that are very so-called traditional families, top-down, authoritarian, highly punitive families, where men are supposed to head the family and women are supposed to be subordinate and serve. But if the culture or the subculture supports that, considers that normal, even moral, 
what do kids grow up with? They grow up with a template in their brains, really, to equate difference, beginning with the most fundamental difference in our species between female and male, with either superiority or inferiority, dominating or being dominated, being served or serving. And then it's very easy to um, almost automatically uh, use that same model for a different race, a different religion, a different sexual orientation, ethnicity. So that's why you find this correlation, don't you? Uh, that highly prejudiced uh, people from highly prejudiced subcultures and families mm-hmm. uh, tend to come from 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 these kinds of uh, so-called traditional, which is a code word, of course, for originally male-dominated um, and highly punitive family. And in some of these families, by the way, the woman uh, is the more authoritarian one, but then that's not supposed to be the case. You know, the husband is supposed to be henpecked, right? Uh, <laughs> it, it goes against the norm. But uh, somehow or other, that family structure, as you said, uh, has to be there for people to really accept that kind of structure in all relations, be they economic, political, international, etc. There are so many subcultures in our country um, how could we blend them all together and create a society where we're all equal? Well, we can't really blend them all together uh, because people who are born into subcultures uh, where they're very rigid, you know, the gender stereotypes are very rigid, there are rigid rankings, there's in-group versus out-group thinking, uh, people who grow up in those uh, uh, kind of environments tend to uh, be very rigid and very intolerant and want to impose their uh, particular uh, form of of, 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 uh, of relations on everybody else. So our job is not so much a blending but of showing people in these subcultures that there is a better alternative what I call the partnership alternative rather than the nomination alternative. And that um, is not an easy job, but that's the work that we do at uh, the Center for Partnership Studies. And I can uh, give you a website. It's partnershipway.org. Partnershipway.org. Right. So... This is just, to me, it's mind-boggling. Where would we... I mean, you're starting with your um, website and your work, but what can we do as individuals to help spread this? Well, it depends on the degree to which you are wanting to jump in. I can recommend a number of very simple steps. Uh, I wrote a book called The Power of Partnership, which is a kind of a self-help book. Um, It certainly starts with the usual self-help, how we relate to ourselves, our intimate relations, our work relations. But then it goes on and it shows how all of this also affects our 
national relations, our international relations, how we relate to our Mother Earth, our spiritual relations, and how very different these relationships are depending on the degree to which we've internalized uh, either a domination uh, way of relating or a partnership way of relating. And uh, people really are using this book in classes, uh, but it's, it's, it's basically a very good place to start. And it's called The Power of Partnership. It's available, of course, online. You can also order it through the Center for Partnership Studies website, partnershipway.org. It's available also in Kindle. Um, and people ha- are starting uh, book uh, uh, discussion groups, kind of like forming their own support groups. That's one thing you can do. If you really want to uh, be an advocate uh, now, because my, 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 my later books have, my last book, of course, is The Real Wealth of Nations, and that deals with a new economic system. How do we build an economic system that recognizes the reality that economics uh, really should uh, be about caring for people starting in early childhood and caring for nature. Uh, So we have at the Center for Partnership Studies uh, a wonderful online caring economy leadership training program. And in fact, we have a, a, a new cohort, two new cohorts starting in May. Uh, there are still available slots, uh, but you have to hurry about that. We also give some partial scholarships. And the, again, the website is partnershipway.org. It's a nine-week, one and a half hours a week. Of uh, course, I, do, I teach one of the sessions. And you are basically taught a lot of presentation skills. You're given tremendous material. And then it's it's modeled really on the Al Gore uh, program, the, uh, you know, the, the one on the environment, where you then undertake to make presentations. And there's a practicum. You can practice. And people uh, and from all over the world join it. But they're very small. We keep the cohorts very small so that we can give people really individual attention and you get a lot of leadership skills, presentation skills, uh, and so forth. So there's a whole spectrum. But the main thing that you can start with is to simply change the conversation. So, for example, about economics, people start talking about socialism and capitalism, and you say, no, what we really need is a caring economy where uh, we support uh, well, the most important human work, the work of caring for people starting in early childhood and caring for nature. And uh, my, my, my book, by the way, The Real Wealth of Nations, as well as that course, I uh, have a lot of material showing that this is not only really beneficial in human terms, in environmental terms, but in purely financial terms, that the best investment a nation can make or a business can make is in caring for people because that's the high-quality human capital for the new era, you know, the service knowledge era, isn't it? Uh, oh, yes. And, and so that's what we have to invest in. And so we need to affect our public policies. And we're actually working 
on new economic indicators, uh, social wealth indicators, to supplement the very inadequate uh, gross domestic product indicators to really show, as I said, the economic value of the work of caring for people and starting in early childhood and caring, caring for nature. Well, now, are you... Any prisoners, I mean, prisons, if, if, you know, we started from the younger level? Well, this is the thing. People who are born into domination environments where punishment is the thing, Right. Right. They would much rather invest in prisons, wouldn't they? But they consider anything stereotypically considered feminine, soft, you know, caring, caregiving, whether done by a woman or a man, because this has nothing to do with anything inherent in women or men, as not anything we should fund. And we are the only industrialized nation that doesn't have paid parental leave that's government-supported, that doesn't have universal health care, that doesn't have uh, stipends to help families care for children, uh, you know, and we are really going to pay very dearly if we don't quickly change this as we enter, as I said, the new uh, post-manufacturing, post-industrial knowledge service era because, you know, so many jobs are never going to come back with automation, with robotics. We've got to invest in human capacity development. So uh, it, we've got a job to do, to, and the first thing we can do is to start talking about economics to our friends, our families, our colleagues from this new perspective. Um, Dr. Eisler, do you, when you teach classes, um, what are the responses of the students within the class? Are they there to, to gain the ability to be able to support others on the outside? Are they coming personally for themselves? Um, what is their response to the class and and how you're sharing the, the information that you do? Well, of course, each individual is different, but they really come for because they recognize that a lot of this, you know, self-healing can't happen without social and economic healing. That really, that uh, trying to... Uh, heal yourself uh, in a domination context is like trying to go up on a down elevator, right? Mm -hmm. So they recognize that the two are inextricably interrelated. Uh, I also teach, by the way, a graduate students at the California Institute of Integral Studies at CIIS, again, an online class called The Power of Partnership. And uh, Mostly the reactions are the same as the reactions of people who read my books. A lot of, first of all, aha experiences. People who begin to see connections where they, the old categories just don't show them. You know, I mean, if you look at just right versus left, for example, or religious versus secular, you don't see the critical importance of how those primary human relations are socially constructed because it's not part of the theory, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's one of the reasons, of course, that you can have such terrible regimes, you know, both on the right or left, or both capitalist and socialist. Now, we are in the, you know, we've been moving more to the partnership side or we couldn't be having this conversation. I mean, in the European Middle Ages, 
uh, well, they looked li- a lot like the Taliban, right? The Inquisition, you know, you can't think differently, much less right. talk differently. The the Crusades, you know, the Holy War, the Jihad, uh, the witch burnings, you know, whether you slowly stone a woman to death publicly or slowly torture her to death by burning, it's the same. It's exemplary uh, public violence against a socially disempowered group. Women had no rights. Children had no rights. So we've moved, but it's happened through human agency. So you ask me, what can we do? Uh, It depends on where you are. If you're in a business, you can use, for example, the real wealth of nations in your company. There's a chapter called Caring Pays in Dollars and Cents. Show that to your managers. Show them, study after study, showing that investing in caring for your employees, of course for your customers too, and for your community, that it really pays in success for the company. It makes sense, doesn't it? You know, yeah. one study, for example, showed that companies that are regularly on the working mothers or the Fortune 500 lists of the best companies to work for uh, have a much higher a return to their investors. Well, if people feel they and their families are cared for, these are companies that have more caring policies, they're going to work like crazy to see that the company is successful, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Well, so, Apple, Apple Computer, I, yeah, if I remember correctly, I used to live in that area, uh, had child care right there so that the parents could go and visit their children during lunchtime. Well, you see, it pays to invest in caring. That's the whole theme, really. Uh, And we've got to bring that out, and it pays not only for the company, but for the government, uh, for the nation. For example, nations like Sweden, Finland, Norway, Iceland, uh, Denmark, they have much more enlightened policies. Uh, As I said, universal health care, very generous, long parental, paid parental leave by the government, uh, stipends to help families uh, care for children, very high quality early childhood education. And you know what? These nations were very poor at the beginning of the 20th century, so poor that there were famines. People fled, right? Minnesota, whole states, got populated by refugees. Today, these nations invariably are in the highest ranks of both the United Nations Human Development Reports and the World Economic Forum's Global Development, Global Competitiveness Reports, and it's because they've moved more to the partnership side. They have more democracy in both the family and the state. They have a much higher status of women, much more equal partnership between women and men. Women are 40% for 0% of the national legislatures. And what happens, as the status of women rises, men no longer find it such a threat to their status, to their, quote, masculinity, to embrace and back more caring policies and to do more caring work. And we see it today. As the status of women has risen, more men are doing fathering in that more stereotypically uh, soft, feminine way, you know, the diapering babies, feeding babies, something that used to be in a rigid domination system is considered totally inappropriate for real men. Mm -hmm. And also, these nations are trying to very hard leave leave, 
uh, behind these traditions of violence that are built into domination systems because ultimately rankings have to be backed up ultimately by fear and force, whether it's in the family, right, or in the nation, an authoritarian nation, or in international relations. So they have uh, the first peace studies came out of those nations, the first laws are saying that it's against the law to use physical discipline against children in families, very strong men's movement to disentangle masculinity from its uh, dominator association with domination, with violence, you know, real men. That's the partnership rather than the domination configuration. And once you use these lenses, everything changes. So you ask me about the students. They leave uh, with a whole much clearer view of what is possible and for themselves personally and also for our world and what they can do to yeah. bring about change. Well, you know, they're the younger generation and they've been captive perhaps in an, in an environment that maybe hasn't been totally wholesome, but when they can go into class and hear other alternatives, it's really, um, well, it's a, it can be a growth pattern for their future and for their family's future. And for it, sometimes, future. It, yeah, it's, it's hard to, uh, to uh, alter uh, the older generation that are captive also in this kind of um, <clears throat> programming. But you know, in, in all the the contributions you've made, so many of them. Um, what is the biggest contribution that really tickled your heart when when it was completed and you went, "Wow, I really did it!" You know, it was like and over the top. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, can you tell us? Give us an well, example. You know, I mean, I think that we really have to look at this from a perspective of what my aspirations and my goals are and what I have been able to achieve. I think for me, probably the most rewarding are all the letters and people who come up to me uh, when I speak uh, saying, you've changed my life, uh, because that's on a very deep, personal level. This said, um, <clears throat> of course, I realized that uh, what's really also needed is for these people then to work for social, political, and economic change. So when I'm invited to speak at the United Nations General Assembly, when I'm invited to speak at major conferences like at the Academy of Management or uh, you know economic conferences, etc., uh, and I'm able to to really. Uh, present these ideas and engage people, that's very important. But I have to say that the work that we do through the Center for Partnership Studies, uh, at, as again, the website is partnershipway.org, both our caring economy campaign and our work against violence, against to, to break cycles of violence, that, I think, having inspired that and being able to be part of that continuing work is probably the most important achievement because, look, uh, for example, uh, our Caring Economy campaign, we're having a meeting um, next month in Washington, D.C., of experts uh, on 
developing these new social wealth indicators, showing the enormous economic value, yes, of the so-called women's work of caring and caregiving in both the market and non-market economy. Because, you know, one of the reasons, for example, that the United States, women over the age of 65, are twice as likely to be poor as men over 65 is not only job discrimination, which we're finally, you know, is out in the open, but it's because most of these women are or were either full or part-time caregivers, and poverty is their reward. And it doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be that way. We could have, for example, Social Security credit, uh, Norway does, for the first seven years of caring for a child at home. Uh, There's a bill now uh, to introduce uh, caregiver tax credits. That's right. We give tax credits for the children, but the caregiver is invisible again, right? Right. It doesn't have to be that way. So we're working to make that the value of that work visible, and that will go a long way towards really dealing with poverty because, again, people talk about poverty in generalities, but worldwide, women are the mass of the poor, women and children are the mass of the poor and the poorest, and the poor is all connected to the failure to really give visibility and value to the work of caring and caregiving. So let's get, let's go with this. I mean, together, uh, we can make a difference. If your organization, for example, can get them to join our alliance, you know, our caring economy coalition, it's an alliance of organizations. We already have 20 organizations, big uh, women's organizations like NOW, uh, mothers' organizations, think tanks, and we are launching our new website, caringeconomy.com, uh, just on that campaign, uh, probably next week, but you can find now already information about it at partnershipway.org. Join uh Get your organization to sign up. Uh, Sign up for the uh, Caring Economy Leadership Program. As I said, we still have some openings for the May cohorts. So uh, it's not going to happen if we don't do it. That's all I really have to say, but it can happen. Uh, As Margaret Mead said, every important change has been due to a small and very often, yes, unpopular uh, group, a small group of women and men who are dedicated to change. So join that group. It's not only essential, but it's very exciting, and you meet wonderful people. It takes small steps to uh, create change, so this is really important. Well, behavioral changes are... (sighs) I mean, humongous. <laughs> I mean, uh, I have to share something with you. Uh, we interviewed this uh, fellow, and uh, Roberto Dancy, and he's a psychiatrist, uh, but I call him almost a shaman. And he's actually teaching our county sheriff department about connecting heart-to-heart relationship. And... Uh, it's the first time I've seen this happening to, into a sheriff's department. There may have been be happening in other parts of our United States, but it's wonderful. He's bringing these macho men to tears and and 
actually making them realize that care from the heart works better. Well, it's part of the partnership movement, isn't it? As I said, men have really been deprived in domination systems of such an important part of their humanity, their capacity to care. And you know, they've been deprived of the pleasure because we all get, by the grace of evolution, endorphins, chemical rewards of pleasure when not only when we're cared for, but when we care for others, whether it's for a child or for a lover or for a friend or even for a pet, right? So uh, I wrote a book on education called Tomorrow's Children, and I suggested that caring for life, caring for self, for others, and for our Mother Earth be part of the curriculum from preschool to graduate school. You know, I I think that uh, there's a great deal of hunger for these new ideas. I mean, for example, my book, The Chalice and the Blade, which is probably the book that I'm best known for, um, was just translated into Urdu for use in Pakistan, and it was just acquired uh, by a Turkish publishing house. Everywhere in the world, there are people who want to move from domination to partnership. And by the way, by partnership, I do not just mean working together. Uh, You know, people work together all the time in domination systems. Cooperation isn't the difference. Monopolies cooperate, terrorists cooperate, invading (laughs) armies cooperate. It's that configuration, remember, that I spoke about? And it's also not a completely flat organization. There have to be hierarchies. I mean, we need parents, we need teachers, we need leaders, managers. But I again, I make a distinction between what I call hierarchies of domination, and we know all we know those you know you better obey orders from above or else it's going to be a lot of pain uh, or hierarchies of actualization, where in terms of the title of the chalice and the blade, power isn't symbolized by the blade, you know the power to dominate, to destroy, to take life, but by the chalice, the power to give life, to nurture life to illuminate life. There's nothing wrong with power. Uh, But power in a domination and a partnership system are very different, aren't they? Mm -hmm. It's it's an education that's totally different, you know. Well, if you ask children what their best and their worst relationship is, you know, before they know anything, they'll always tell you that their worst relationship is the domination relationship, you know, where they're just supposed to, where they're frightened, where they're supposed to, because, you know, we talk about respect for children, but in domination systems, that's fear, isn't it? Respect has to go both ways, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Right. And they always will tell you that the best one is the relationship where they are respected, where they are seen, where where they are really valued unconditional rather than just controlled. So it's something innate in us to want this. Uh, so we've got that going for us. And the main thing, and this is it, and you know, what are the interventions? And economics is one, changing what we reward economically, uh, Another one is simply getting rid of all of these, leaving behind these traditions of, of domination and violence in uh, against women and children. Because as we talked earlier in, 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 in the interview, that's so basic. I mean, what do kids learn if they either experience violence or observe violence against their mothers? They learn that it's okay 
to use violence to impose your will on others. And it's even moral, they're told, right? So mm-hmm. why wouldn't they then use it elsewhere? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this morning when I opened up the computer, the first thing that popped up was, um, it was uh, Democratic, uh, said, please come to the state capitol and help us fight for a bill against violence against uh, against women. I mean, for violence against You know, that is so shocking that they want to not... uh, 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 I I don't know what has happened to the Republican Party. I mean, it is like they are really uh, completely out of touch with uh, what matters. I mean, they want to block a bill that would protect women against violence. I mean... What are we talking about? Are we going to go back to the Middle Ages? Is that what they were trying to do? I mean, it's crazy. But you know what it amounts to is this. They're into this very, uh, I mean, not they. Okay, that's a big generalization. But certain segments of the Republican Party are people who come from uh, dominate dominator subcultures, aren't they? I mean, the fundamentalist religious culture, it's its really dominator fundamentalism. Let's go back to this, quote, traditional, authoritarian, top-down, rigidly male-dominated family, right? Punitive family. Right. Uh, let's fund weapons and wars and prisons, but not caring for people. I mean, that's that's dominator fundamentalism. It, I know, it isn't I, religion. I, I mean, it, so you know, I mean, certainly isn't what the great religious leaders taught, which is Partnership teachings, yeah, soft, feminine, you know, caring, empathy, compassion, nonviolence. Well, what went you through know. my mind when I read that, I thought, I can't believe in our country that we have to ask for this and to fight for a bill. I mean, I it's insane. Well, and that's something that we all need to make our voices heard, to say, hey, wait a minute, uh, we really... Uh, we won't stand for this. Uh, this is wrong, and we want you to vote to, you know, for 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 this bill. Just as women are entitled to reproductive health services, you know, I mean, really, the whole thing about morality, you know, they have no problem with Viagra, right? <laughs> I mean, that's okay, but they have problem with with contraception for women. I mean, give me a break. Nothing you know, the, to do with morality. It's all about domination, isn't it? Yes, yeah. where the insurance yeah. will pay for Viagra, but not health. I mean, women's uh, health care. I mean, it's crazy. It's totally crazy. Well, you kind of wonder it's up where. Up to us to change the conversation. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. framing the conversation. That's that's what we're doing at the Center for Partnership Studies. Is Framing the conversation in a way that makes sense. Well, you know, I, what I think, oh, what I think is happening is we actually are going forward, and and maybe there's a little bit of our population that doesn't want us to go forward and is fighting it. So. Well, I think if you look at uh, the struggle for our future, not from right, left, religious, secular, eastern, western, but from the movement towards partnership and the resistance from the domination system and the regression to it, then it all begins to make sense, doesn't it? So, yes, 
there is forward movement, but there's also fierce resistance. And we have been for decades now globally in a period of regression to the domination side. And I, uh, you know, under the guise of religion, under the guise of a free market, you know, when they talk about freedom, they don't really mean freedom. They mean freedom for those on top to not be regulated and to do whatever they darn please, including, you know, destroying our environment. You've got to expose this language. Mm-hmm. Well, our time is almost up, but we really, I mean, this has been, we had a slow start, but I, I think a lot of information got out to our listeners today. Yes. Well, I hope that they didn't give up at the beginning of the program, that you played <laughs> some good music for them. And well, again, I, I want to <laughs> welcome people to the Center for Partnership Studies website, partnershipway.org. Thank you so much. I, you know, it really nourishes us. Um, all that are listening this hour with with new possibilities of thought, and um, we need that sometimes. Our, our hectic schedules that fathers and mothers and and you know humanity have at this point is is pretty tremendous. So you know, again, we and we thank you for your time being with us. It's so precious. Well, and we. And, it's a we hope that you can come back with us sometime soon because I think what you're um, furnishing people with is very important and it's very important for us to get this information out. So we would love to have mm-hmm. you back. Yes. So thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being with you. Bye-bye. Thank then. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So you were, uh, we were just talking to uh, Dr. Rian Eisler, and she's the author of The Chalice and the Blade. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.